Southeast Iowa Today with John Bain is brought to you by these great sponsors. Car Doctor of Washington, Iowa. No matter who Frankensteined it, they can fix and clean and customize it. Griner Auto Body of Washington, Iowa, using state-of-the-art techniques and decades of experience to get your car back on the road after an accident. Wayland State Bank, over 90 years of being community-minded, just like you, located in Wayland, Winfield, and Mount Pleasant. McDonald Boneyard of Keota, Iowa, for all of your auto and farm machinery recycling needs. Hinshaw Trailer Sales of Richland, Iowa, they've got a trailer for you. Just call them or go by and see them. And they fix what they sell and don't in their full-time repair shop. Girling Repair of Winfield, Iowa, if your mower is dead, call Fred, your Husqvarna and Aaron's dealer. B&B Propane and the family of Jet Stops located in Burlington, Salem Stub, New London, West Point, Denmark, Houghton, Bonaparte, Milton, Fairfield, and Birmingham present Southeast Iowa Today. I'm John Bain, author of Christie's Journey, The Beat Goes On, and your host. On today's episode, I am on the road over in Galesburg, Illinois. My buddy Bob DeWitt told me about the Stearman Fly-In and the Stearman is a type of airplane. So I'm taking you to the Galesburg Municipal Airport. Wait till you see what we found there. Ty, thanks for taking some time to be on Southeast Iowa today with me here in Galesburg, Illinois at the Galesburg Municipal Airport. And we are at the Stearman National Fly-In. And you, I understand, are president of this, this uh, the Stearman uh, National Fly-In. That's correct. Yep. And uh, can you tell me and our audience lots more about it? <laughs> sure. The National Stearman Fly-In has been here at Galesburg now. This is the 52nd annual. It started in 1972. Uh, one of the local guys, Jim Leahy, is a Stearman pilot, Stearman owner, and aerobatic pilot. And he wanted to get together as many Stearmans as he possibly could. And then uh, he found that was quite a big task. There were several thousand on the register at the time. And uh, Tom Lowe from Crystal Lake, Illinois, uh, jumped in as a, a co-chairman to help him organize that. And that first year, they had 17 Stearmans show up. Uh, and our 50th, which was a couple of years ago, we had 153 Stearmans here, which is an all-time high for us. And how many do you have here in 2023? Uh, this year, right now, we have 45. 40 Stearmans. Which is uh, uh, still a very good turnout for this early in the, in the week. But it's a little bit low, probably because of uh, Reno. This is the, the year of last year of the air race at Reno, and a lot of the fellas like to go to Reno. Is that Reno, Nevada? Reno, Nevada. The air race is there. Oh wow! Yeah. So that's a, a little competition for us around this time of year. Okay. Now, give us a little history of the Stearman plane. How does it get its name? How, and tell us some things about the plane itself. Sure. The Stearman uh, was was designed or was born from uh, some back of the napkin drawings that Lloyd Stearman made back in the Stearman Aircraft Corporation. Boeing uh, bought the Stearman Aircraft Company and then a couple years later they needed to create a new design for the competition to create a trainer for the military. And the Model 75 was born from that competition. And so it's been commonly called a Stearman ever since, since the base design came from Lloyd Stearman. Okay. Uh, it won the competition amongst the various manufacturers to become the, the primary trainer. And there were several variations of the Stearman, 
you have the blue fuselage, yellow wing, which was the Army version, and then the, the all yellow one was what the Navy wanted. And there are some slight equipment differences between them, but essentially they're the same aircraft structurally. Uh, some things equipment-wise might be the engine or the compass and things like that were different between them, but pretty much the same airplane. And they made, uh, numbers vary depending on the account you talk, but they made close to 10,000 of these, uh, including some spare parts for World War II. Wow. And after the war, they were used uh, for crop dusters. You could buy a Stearman, anyway. I've seen prices in the official records anywhere from $500 on up to or $1,300 for a Stearman bought after the war. And uh, some of the, the fellas bought you know, 15 or 20 of them or more wow. to start crop dusting businesses. Yeah. And crop they was crop dusters, I think, uh, up into the 80s even uh, in a few places. But okay. they, they were largely replaced by the turboprop aircraft that could carry more for that occupation used like that that kept spare parts available and support was available for a long time and the enthusiasts started getting a hold of them as they were being retired from crop dusters and you had to, uh, some would restore them back to their original military configuration army or navy and some would create what we call custom which would be more uh, a colorful paint job with stars or stripes and a, and a cowling and maybe wheel pants things that weren't on the military version so just like guys hop up their cars, exactly. they hop up the planes. Yep, they do it, do it, make it look the way they want to. Cool. Uh, so there's a lot of them around. Then of course, as crop dusters too, they put bigger engines on them. The, the airplane normally came with a 220 or a 225 horse radial engine on them. Okay. And the crop dusters wanted to carry more product, more, more chemicals or, or dust. Gotcha. So they'd put on a uh, Pratt & Whitney 985, which is a 450 horse engine, so almost double the horsepower. And then there was- uh, Double the fun, the, too. Yeah, it burns more gas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and pretty much all your aerobatic Stearmans, uh, for the most part, ran the higher horsepower engine, the 985, because it, it turns it into a, a hot rod. Yeah. Um, but uh, something that fans could look for, too, would be look up John Moore, M-O-H-R, on, uh, on YouTube. He is a he flies a stock Army Stearman, and what he does with that airplane, if you know how a Stearman flies, is nothing short of, of fantastic. It's just awesome what he can do with that airplane. It's, it's incredible. Uh, but back to the horsepower, they've mm -hmm. also, the crop dusters, put uh, Pratt & Whitney R1340s on them, which was a 600-horse engine. Wow. Uh, so they wanted more power to carry more weight so they could be out in the field while they're spraying. Um, so, and there was a lot of spare parts. The Continental engine, the 220 horse engine on the airplane, was also used in a, a certain model of Stuart tank and also in Navy landing craft. So the same basic engine, there's some common parts that you could use on the aircraft engine. And they, they built tens of thousands of these engines and accompanying a number of spare parts. So there's still new spare parts available today for them. So, but there are no Stearmans being manufactured today? No, the last one, I, uh, I'm not 100% sure what the date was, but somewhere around 1944, maybe 1945, okay. was the last one was built. And the last, uh, I think, 
the last steerman that actually left military service because the Air Force kept a, a couple around here and there for training and okay. you know for I'm sure the base commanders had fun with them. Sure. Um, and I think the last one left somewhere around 1947. They retired it from actual military service. Well, you're too young to have been involved in all that. Yeah. <laughs> How did you get involved with Stearman flying? Uh, I have a Cessna 140 in 1948, and I moved from uh, one airport in Wisconsin to Kenosha. And one of the guys there, uh, Pete Spear, was a Stearman pilot, and he was actually here at the first fly-in. Oh, wow. I think he's missed one. And uh, we fly up to Washington Island to camp out up there at a fish boil, and he took me around the patch a few times in the steerman up there, and, and I got hooked. And, huh. and then, uh, I don't know, maybe a year or so later, I found one in Madison, Wisconsin, nearby, and and uh, I bought that and have been having fun ever since. So wow, it's it's a lot of fun. It's uh, it's a very rugged airplane, and uh, probably the closest thing that maybe more people could relate to is it's kind of like a, a motorcycle or a Harley. You know, it has that it has a radial engine sound to it. You've got the open cockpit, so the air and all that and uh it's just a lot of fun to fly and probably one in your mind and your experience there's probably nothing better to fly right it's yeah it's uh it's just so much fun and it's, it's a trainer too it's a primary trainer so and it has in some circles a reputation as being you know difficult to to handle on the ground which is uh, in a tailwheel airplane, you have to be on your toes with all of them, but some are more docile than others. And the Stearman is is not a hard plane to fly, but you you have to be on your toes with it all the time because it was designed to train pilots. So no texting while you're doing that. No texting. <laughs> uh, and when you're in the air, you can, but on the ground, you best have 110% of your attention gotcha. on what's going on. So where's your home base today? Uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin. Kenosha. Yep. So what do you think of Galesburg, Illinois? I like it. I'm, I'm really fortunate that we're only about 175 miles away, so I can fly down here in a couple hours. Okay. And uh, we have some folks that, if they come from the East Coast, or uh, West Coast, rather, that's... Uh, I've heard can take 20 hours worth of flying wow. just to get here. Wow. And we do have a few that come from that far away. Uh, we have a, an aircraft from Canada here today. They got in yesterday. Wow, that's amazing. Now, when you fly from Kenosha to here, um, do you use the highways as a guide, or how do you, how do you uh, get here? Uh, well, uh, basically, we know the compass course is about 220. Okay. So 220 degrees, and we just set that and go. And of course, I do modern days. I got a, a portable GPS that I can look at if I'm wondering okay. where I'm at. And then, of course, just like the old days, you know, uh, we'll look at the water towers as they go by to see what town's name is on there, and then look on the chart to see if we're in the right place or not. So if you can read water tower names, you're pretty low. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean... Uh, How high do you fly usually? Uh, our usual cruising altitude going places is maybe 2,000 feet, 2,500. Okay. okay. So if, if there's a really favorable tailwind, a little higher, we'll go higher. Okay. But usually we're, we're pretty low. All right. You ever run into any geese or duck up there flying uh, by? I've seen them go by, but I have never run into one. Okay. Uh, usually when that happens, it's on the ground. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, you're landing and there's a, a goose taking off or flying by. Gotcha. Well, I, I've asked you a lot of questions, but those are questions of things that just to get a feel so I can learn things. What's a question I should have asked you that I didn't that our audience would benefit hearing about? Uh, hmm. I'd have to think about that for a minute. Okay. Um, there's, there, uh, 
lot of Stearman aircraft around. There's um, a few on the market, so if you're interested in them, they're out there. Uh, if you want to learn how to fly, even we've had a couple of people in recent times uh, do their basic training in a Stearman. And really? Start out flying them, yeah. Does it, is it expensive to learn to fly? Um, like a lot of things nowadays, you know, it's gone up. Gas uh -huh. costs more is, is a big expense. You know, parts costs a lot more. Um, you know, labor, mechanics, and flight instructors, right? everything's up some. Sure. So it's kind of, it's a little bit relative. Like a lot of sports, you know, for me to fly, I became an aircraft mechanic too, so I could do my own work. Oh, that and helps. That helps me control my expenses there. There you go. Um, but... Yeah, it's not cheap, but if, if you have the passion for it, it's one of those things that, that you'll do. It's you could equate it to uh, owning a you know a modern sports car, not a not a Lamborghini or something like that, but a, a Corvette or, or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, Ty, I really appreciate your time today and all the information you provided. Um, we'll wrap up this segment and maybe you can show us a couple planes. Sure, we'll walk around and look at the, some of the different examples. Ty, tell us what we're looking at here. All right, we're looking at a uh, N2S3 Sturman with a Continental W670 engine on it, 670 cubic inches, 220 horsepower. It's a seven-cylinder radial engine. This particular example has a, an unshielded ignition. You can see the spark plugs look kind of like the car spark plug. And the, the owner of this, there's no radio in it because with the unshielded ignition, all you'd hear would be the buzzing of the ignition. Gotcha. So You'd need a shielded ignition to have an effective radio. Uh, there's two spark plugs per cylinder, one in the front, one on the back side. And this propeller is a, a steel Macaulay propeller. It's probably the best propeller, most efficient for the aircraft. The blades are solid forged steel, very aerodynamically efficient. And the hub is steel as well. Now my friend Bob DeWitt asked about wooden propellers. Uh, what what's some of them have them and some of them don't. Some had, and when they actually started early, really very early in the war, maybe pre-war, they had wood props on a lot of them, and the wood props just aren't as efficient. They they have to be a little thicker, and they just don't provide as much thrust as uh, a Macaulay prop or one of the other examples we'll see is a Hamilton Standard that has aluminum blades, and a wood prop soaks up vibrations a lot better due to the nature of wood. Okay. So it's much, the engine runs smoother. The steel Macaulay is not going to be as smooth, but it, it, it provides a considerably amount more efficient lift and, and thrust than the wood prop. So I see. They went, they went to these uh, quite exclusively almost during the war. Now, uh, the wings on this, those are, did you say aluminum? Or did you say? The wings, the, the leading edge of the wings, if we look here... The leading edge, probably this this section of it here, is aluminum sheet metal, uh, about 16 to 20 thousandths thick normally. The rest of the wing is wood. We have two wood spars, uh, spruce, Sitka spruce or Douglas fir, and then the ribs are wood made up of spruce with little mahogany plywood gussets on it. And uh, it's a very strong airplane. They haven't had one come apart in the air like you might see or have heard about some airplanes being overstressed and a wing coming off or something like that. That hasn't happened with the Stearman. Okay. Uh, they're, they're stressed to a very high deal. Now I got a question. Now for this right here, 
That's not just for someone to come out and do acrobatic stunts, is it? No, that's that's basically helps keep the wires uh, in place and vibration free and and just keep things organized. That uh, call that a javelin. Javelin, okay. Yeah. All right. What else should we know about this plane? Uh, the wires, the, the wires on it help form a truss to give it everything strength. Okay. And hold the, the wings in position. So those, you have lift, lift wires and landing wires. So the, the landing wires kind of hold the structure up when you're on the ground, and when you're flying, the load pulls up on these flying wires. Very cool. And you said this was actually a, a U.S. Navy plane at one time. Yep. Okay. Wow. It's incredible. What a what a the ingenuity and everything that went into designing this craft is just amazing. Yeah. It's uh. It's, and the engineering. It stood the test of time. They were you know heavily modified for the crop dusters. They'd take out the front seat and cut some tubes out and put a tank or a bin in there for the, the liquid or the, the powder that they would crop dust with. And uh, they even built some different wings for them, higher wing, higher lift wings so they could carry more load. Wow. Uh, that's what it was all about back then for crop dusting. And uh, the fuselage on this, while it looks kind of round and all that, that's what we call the bird cage. There's aluminum stringers in there that give it a, a more round shape. And the inside of it is a steel tube structure that's more square that actually provides the structure, the, the strength of the, the fuselage. Wow. And then it's, the fuselage is fabric covered uh, back in the day, and the wings as well are fabric covered. Back in the day, it would have been grade A cotton. Really? Today, we have modern uh, Dacron fabrics that you shrink with, with an iron. So that's one of the times where you'll find a pilot or a mechanic actually doing some ironing. It's <laughs> shrinking the fabric. On gotcha. The Gotcha. Yeah, and then you have a variety of paints. You can use the old-fashioned, uh, what we call dope, or they have modern uh, urethane paints that you can paint with it. Give it that really shiny, wet look. And uh, I was saying that a lot of the, most of the planes have that. That's it's probably more popular nowadays. That okay. everybody likes that look. Uh, but back in the day, they were dope, and they were sort of, you know, satin or almost flat looking was the way the the dope would look, and that's okay. that's more realistic more to the era yeah okay and then the cowling around the front part here this was aluminum uh, sheet metal to give it all that structure wow well i've got one one word for it that best describes it for me and that's cool it is cool and uh, for me when i when i think about a biplane or or you know you have the mental picture of a biplane this is the shape yeah that comes to mind right it's just very elegant, and it's a, it's a, it's an awesome airplane. It's just so much fun to fly. Oh, I bet so. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap up this segment now. Thank you so much, sir. You're welcome. Ty, you're going to show the audience a special airplane here. Yes, this is a, a special one. Some of the, the older audience might know the Red Baron Pizza biplanes. They had a, an air show team that would go around doing aerobatics in Stearman's and they were all modified to have the Pratt Whitney R985 450 horse engine with a nice cowling on it and they had uh, Cleveland wheels and brakes on them so they had good disc brakes and we we're fortunate enough to have a couple of folks at the Stearman fly-in who are members and this one here this example is uh, November 802 
Red Baron. How cool is that? These are, uh, they were extremely well maintained as, and they are, you know, all very well flying, good flying airplanes. Uh, of course, they did uh, four ship aerobatics with them, they had four that would fly formation and do all the aerobatics moves and rolls and all that stuff. And aside from the engine modification on this, they also had four ailerons, which was uh, unusual. Steerman normally had two, one on each lower wing. This one has one on each lower wing plus one on the upper wing. Okay. So that gives it a better roll rate and a little faster control. Wow. And I wonder, uh, do they ever think about delivering pizzas that way? <laughs> they probably did back in the day. I yeah. bet so. We were all disappointed when they... Uh, Red Baron when they disbanded the team. Oh, I bet. Uh, and uh, a couple, I think a couple, one or two of the planes ended up in museums, and then the, a couple of the others ended up in private hands. Uh, and this is one of those. Wow. So, if people come out here to Galesburg, they'll have a chance to see this thing in the air. Yep. That is awesome. So, Ty, tell us about this plane. This, uh, PT-17 here was uh, recently restored. It has a nice, uh, really good-looking urethane paint job. Yeah, it does. Uh, it, this one has the Lycoming 225-horse engine on it. And, uh, Quentin Marty is the owner of this one. It's a very, very nice-looking airplane. Would he mind if I just stuck the camera up and looked in the cockpit? Oh, no. No, go right ahead. Okay, we'll kind of walk over here. This is one of the advantages of Besides changing light bulbs, I can reach in and uh, yeah. And then there, there's the, uh, the what do you call that stick? Joystick or what do you call? The control stick. Control stick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's got his little portable GPS in there. Make sure he doesn't get lost. Uh huh. Wow. That is cool. Now, when he flies, does he fly from the back seat or the front? Depends on how the weight and balance works on an airplane. It could be flown from either seat, but typically the steerman or the pilot flies from the rear seat. Okay. That is awesome. Southeast Iowa today, watchers and listeners, you're getting all access today, and uh, this is quite a privilege. See the wind kind of makes that flap there. You said it was 200 some horse, this one? No, this is the light homing uh, It's a, a 225 horse. The most uh, obvious thing about it that's different from the Continental is this has a front mounted exhaust. Yes. See this front mounted exhaust on it. And this one has the Hamilton standard propeller on it, which is aluminum blades and a steel hub. Now, with that exhaust like that, do you get a lot more heat? towards the cockpit. I can see that it comes out this way, but you're still, it's going to be blowing back. It blows back, but you really, you don't notice it in the, in the, in the, while you're flying in the airplane. You don't feel it or see it or anything. Okay. And the, the exhaust on the Continental comes out the, the uh, right side as well. Okay. Wow. And it's warm, so he must have come back recently okay and this one has a this is a, an example of a shielded ignition so everything is is shielded to uh, prevent the high frequency noise from 
disturbing radio. Gotcha. really appreciate the access Ty this is this is wonderful today oh you're welcome we're always happy to talk about the Stearman to anybody that'll listen <laughs> <laughs> well I, I know we've got a, a pretty good listening and uh, viewing audience and I'm sure they're paying attention right now and everybody's welcome to come out we have uh, uh, tram rides you can get a tram ticket for a dollar and ride around and it's narrated and they give some history of the airplanes and uh, we have some food vendors on site all week. And, uh, all right, well, we'll, we'll definitely fun. take a ride on that for sure. Okay, this plane is getting ready to take off and uh, we're gonna watch him a little bit. See this steerman in action. Yonder's a little gray today, but I still bet it's speed up there. Pete and Marie, welcome to Southeast Iowa today. Thank you. Thank you. You're quite welcome. I uh, am just having a great time here in Galesburg, Illinois. Good. And uh, going around, Ty showed me a lot of neat planes and told me a lot of information. And I said, do you know any pilots I could also, other pilots that I could also talk to? And he brought me right over to you. And this is cool. We got a plane flying right in here, coming in for a landing. Tell me where you folks are from and how you got into flying Stearman airplanes. Well, we're, I'm originally from uh, Illinois, grew up in Skokie, Illinois, okay. and uh, learned how to fly at uh, DuPage, or Milwaukee Airport, and then over to DuPage County Airport where I checked up, checked out the Stearmans. Nice. And I've been flying for a little over 50 years, and I've owned uh, that airplane right there for 49 years. 39? 49. 49. Oh, wow. So you you started in 50 years and a year a year later you had a plane. You were hooked. Yeah. And Marie, how about you? Um, I'm originally from Southwest Illinois as well, but we live in Salem. Okay. We fly out of Kenosha. Um, I never thought I'd be a pilot, but our first date was in his steerman. <laughs> so I learned to fly not long after that. Uh, we flew together. He checked me out and taught me to fly his steerman here during the flying years ago. And then we had the opportunity to acquire the second steerman, which belonged to friends of ours through the years. So we acquired the second one. So we have the Navy one he's owned for so long, and then we've had this one since 2014. So when you left from Kenosha to come to Galesburg, how soon up in the air did one of you pass the other one? I passed them both up. <laughs> <laughs> His tie flew up with us as well. Okay. So, yep. Um, 
You passed both of them. I did. Only because if I don't, they just leave me behind anyway. Oh, so okay. They're usually in the air slightly faster than I am. So I took a little advantage of what I could find and got ahead of Well, I, I, I just know I, I was at um, harness racing last weekend in Watcher, Iowa. Okay. And it's like we were talking about, you know, the rivalries or the uh, competition it's like as soon as the second horse trotted along that was the first horse race oh, as yeah. soon as the second car was built that's when they had the first car race and i'm sure the same kind of things are <laughs> happen with airplanes we usually don't have any kind of um competition in the air uh -huh. um but over long distances we put ourselves where we're comfortable uh, around home we'll fly a three ship formation uh, a lot of times when we're going places like to breakfast or whatever but on the way here we just got comfortable with our speed and just went on our way describe the feeling that you get when you're a couple thousand feet in the air and all these other people and the problems of the day and everything is down here on the ground i own a piece of history i think about it a lot think about the pilot's step in these airplanes during the war and uh, how difficult they are to fly for the way they teach today and everything else like that and to learn in one of these after you become a private pilot is you know is a real challenge and once you master it you can understand where it's all coming from wow and marie um once we leave the ground it's it's a feeling that's completely undescribable and we've always had this agreement over the years that once we leave the ground with the airplane, we leave our problems on the ground. We don't fly sad, we don't fly angry, we fly, and it, it's a sense of freedom. And like you said, you get up there, you're amongst the clouds, you're with people. You know, I love looking over and seeing him fly over there next to me. And it's, it, there's a sort of peace to it. There is a challenge on, you know, days when it's windy and stuff like that, but you need that and you, you appreciate it sometimes because it makes you a better pilot, but there's really, you know, no, it, it's really hard to describe um, the feeling that you get in an open cockpit. If he had more hair, you know, he'd feel the wind in his hair. But <laughs> some of us have more than others. Well, I'll tell you, just in the perspective that you folks get, I mean, us folks, us land dwellers, uh, we're seeing everything from the ground eye view. You're seeing it from bird's eye view and ground eye view. Uh, does that make you look at the world in a different way? You don't see any borders. When we cross from Wisconsin to come to Illinois, there's no line that says we just crossed. That's that's really yeah. That's really cool. I have no navigation in my airplane. I fly with a chart and uh, been everywhere like that. And you can still get paper charts, but you can't get uh, road maps anymore. That, good point. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We, go ahead. But that's a challenge too, because imagine, you know, at that era, I like thinking back and everything else like that. If they did it then, I could do it now. Yeah. Hey, I say, you two are smarter than most people. <laughs> I don't know but about that. But. I've been really getting rubber challenged sometimes over the years. I've 49 years flying that airplane. Actually, I can say 40, because it was down for three years when I could do it stole it. It was restored in 70. And then I really started in 88 and 90, so it was down for three years. Wow. That, I just, I really appreciate your, the visiting with me today. This is okay. uh, wonderful. It made me just feel good hearing how you both describe it and, and uh, the relationship you have with your, with each other and, and that you can share this hobby is just incredible. Anytime you can share a hobby with a loved one, it's the best, isn't it? Oh, absolutely.
Like I said, it was one thing to fly with it for years in the airplane, but then it's it's significantly, and we do have fun. We do fly together in his airplane pretty often, but there's really nothing like flying along and then either he'll pull up next to me or I'll pull up next to him, and I can just look over, and this was his passion first, so I got the passion from him. So, you know, I can look over, and I was like, yeah, that's kind of where it starts, and like you said, this is what we share, and it makes in it our, so meaningful. In our history with this airplane, it belonged yeah. to two previous friends. One had it, and he got sick. Okay. He sold it to another, and that person became a good friend of ours also. So there's definitely a personal yeah. connection. So, and, they're, and they're both gone now. Yeah. Oh. So when I fly this, I not only fly it for us, you know, for the two of us, but I fly it for them. You probably got a couple passengers with you. Absolutely. And they, and they were there all the time. And they were both participants here. Yeah, really? They were. Ray, the one that owned it before, he was, was long-term. Well, I'm sure they're flying higher now, and they look down at you while you're flying, and I bet they're smiling. Absolutely, they are. Yeah. Yep. Well, thanks so much for being on Southeast Iowa today. Thank you. Let us get into position. This side will be the best. Okay. Marie's getting ready to start this. Yeah, so this airman is equipped with an electric inertia starter. So the original ones were to crank up a little flywheel, and then you would engage the starter. The ground crew would actually do it from outside the airplane. Okay. So Marie's airplane, she has an electric inertia starter, which has an electric motor that spins up the flywheel, and then she'll pull a handle to engage it, and it'll spin the, the engine over and start. Okay. Well, she's already primed the engine, which is done outside, up front, on the little control panel on the engine. She's getting buckled in and getting everything ready to go, and then we'll hear the the start, the starter motor engage and spin up the flywheel. Okay. And it's, it's a li little breezy here, so my audience, if you're hearing wind, I, I'm doing the best that I can. <laughs> and this is one of the really cool sounds of the airplanes that have these type of systems. Start on the first try. Right. Well, Pete's going to give it a couple more shots of primer. Okay. The Continental likes likes to have a lot of gas to start. Okay. Uh, helping Marie get this thing ready to start. 
folks here at the airport even have a little tram driven by Big Bad John. Says so on the back of his hat. But this gives us a chance to see the planes in a rolling fashion as they sit still and wait their turns to fly. try to do on Southeast Iowa today, folks, give you all access. Hopefully inspire you to come out and check things out for yourself. friend Bob DeWitt from Galesburg, Illinois for telling me about this awesome event.
that was a great time in Gelsberg. It's always fun to get on the road. And once again, thanks to my friend Bob DeWitt for telling me about the Stearman Fly-In there in Gelsberg. This episode of Southeast Iowa Today is brought to you by Car Doctor, Griner Auto Body, Wayland State Bank, McDonald Boneyard, Hinshaw Trailer Sales, Girling Repair, and B&B Propane and the family of Jet Stops. I'm your host, John Bain. Stay friendly, Southeast Iowa.